Well, when Pastor Van and I were discussing this week and uh, realized how things kind of lined up for it to be a missions emphasis, as we're sending out our Honduras team, as Dan Bethel can be here, he suggested, why don't you share your heart about our missions program here at the church? As, uh, a little over a year ago, I've taken over heading up the, the missions program, and we have Jeff Main now as the uh, chairman of the committee. We have an active committee growing and, and really working hard at, at promoting missions in our church. And I thought, what a great opportunity just for me to stand before the people and share my desires for Fellowship Bible Church in the area of missions. You see, it was when I was 10 years old, back in 1974, in the summer, it was really about a year or two before that that my mother decided, well, it might be a good idea for me to take the kids to church. My sister and I, and uh, my dad was like, well, that's fine. I can have a quiet Sunday morning. You guys go. <laughs> so we did, and she started taking us to a little Methodist church, and we went there for a little bit. And then my aunt was at the Nazarene church. So we ended up at the Nazarene church. And that's uh, really where I started to learn about God and who he was. And they had a week-long uh, revival with a guest missionary. And I think it was a Tuesday night. I don't really remember the night. And I don't remember at all what he said, what the message was. But what I do remember is at the end of that message, he gave an altar call. And as a 10-year-old little boy sitting in that pew, I had a raging battle going on inside of me. I want to get up and go down. No, I don't want to get up in front of this. No, I want to get up. I need to go. No, I don't want to go down there. And then the next thing I knew, my mother stood up. And then my sister stood up. And then I stood up. And we walked down front. And at an altar there, and on my knees on that altar, next to my mother, next to my sister, Jesus forgave me. God forgave my sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I get that special memory of knowing that my sister and my mother's eternal destiny was changed at that exact same moment as mine. Because I heard the gospel. When was it for you? When did you hear the gospel and respond? At the beginning of March, as I mentioned, in about five weeks is our missions conference, Saturday night, Sunday. Our theme verse is Psalm 4610, which reads, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So I wanted to use that verse as kind of my catalyst this morning to jump off and think about that. So today with the Missions Emphasis Sunday, I want you to hear my heart for missions. And I want to encourage FBC to be a missions-minded church. So how do we do that? What does it look like? Well, first, it all starts personally. You must personally know God. Now, at the moment of salvation, you're forgiven and indwelt by God. 
But that's not the same as knowing God. That's a process that we go through as we learn about God and grow in God. But we need to be working at knowing God. And one of the ways we do that is by being still. To know that God is God. We're not real good sometimes at being still. Our lives are pretty busy. And some of us like to stay busy. I could spend all morning just on that part of the verse on the importance at times of us being still before God. But I'm going to trust that many of you here have a heart and a passion to know God and are growing in that knowledge of God. Because the second part of that verse is so important. Because we need to understand that God is sovereign. It says He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. God has a plan and a purpose and nothing will change that. There will be a day, whether it's because of fear or whether it's because of love, that He will be exalted by all men. Reminds me of a, of a story from Richard Bales about a man who lived in England. He had a three-story house. And he wanted to tear down the house and build another three-story house, same size, just new and fresh. Well, he went and did all the permit applications. And they said at the city council, no problem, you can tear it down. But we're not going to give you a permit to build it. Too close together, too many problems. So you can tear it down if you want, but you can't rebuild. Well, we understand problems arise sometimes in the permit offices, don't we? So he got an idea. He took jacks and jacked up the first, from the first floor to the second floor, and he completely gutted and remodeled the first floor. Then he moved the jacks from the first floor to the second, the third floor, and completely redid the second floor. Then he moved the jacks up to the roof and redid the third floor. Guess what he ended up with? A new house. And they couldn't say that he tore it down and rebuilt. He just remodeled. Well, the picture here is that sometimes our transformation in God is gradual. And God works at us a floor, a room at a time. Little by little over time. And then one day, we can be still and look at what God has done and see that we are a new creation and that God has done a great work in our lives. And to have God in the center of your life is a wonderful place to be. But it all starts by being still and knowing that God is God. So, a missions-minded church must be filled with people who know God is God. So when you grow in your knowledge of God, you grow in your willingness to fulfill the Great Commission. So what exactly does a missions-minded church look like? It looks like a church willing to fulfill the Great Commission. Which is Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. An interesting command from the Lord. Some people say that it is the beginning part reads more as you are going. And I agree with that. As you are going, you should be at work. That means wherever you are, whatever you're engaged in, you can be a mission missionary for God, reaching the lost. Very important. But don't miss, it also says, making disciples of all nations, which means we must go to all the nations, not only our back ride. So I have five must-haves that I believe make FBC a missions-minded church. The first must-have is that we must have a vision not only for Shenandoah Junction, not only for Charlestown, not only for West Virginia, not only for the United States, but we must have a vision, vision not only for Shenandoah Junction, but for the world. A global view. Now, I believe the local church is what God's instrument is to reach people most effectively. It is important for us as Christians to be connected to a local church and be about God's work. Vital. We need to be working in our community. That's why we're doing a Wild Beast Feast. Um, giving away prizes. With the idea that there are going to be people who don't know Jesus, perhaps never heard or have rejected to this point, And that night will make the difference in eternity for them. We need to be about work. That's why we do the Jefferson County Fair. And we have people coming in for their massage, and then they find out it's a message. (laughs) And people respond to the gospel. That's why we do our camps. That's why we do many ministries. We need to have the emphasis on our area to reach people. And then the church is equipped to disciple, to grow up, to mature the believers. And then send them out to repeat the process. So the local church is vital, and I believe in it immensely. Shenandoah Junction is important. Bakerton, that's why we're helping with Bakerton Bible Church. Because it's important for the gospel to be preached and heard in a little community like Bakerton. That's why we have committed Pastor Mark Henson to be the interim pastor to try to give leadership and stability there to grow that up so we can have a permanent pastor place there. That's why Hamilton, Virginia is important to us. And we support Dave Jordan and brought him in to be the pastor at Grace Bible Church as we oversee that. Because the gospel needs to be presented. The local church needs to be functioning and alive in Hamilton, Virginia. That's why years ago we sent Pastor Billy joining with Pastor Lowell McDonald from IBC to plant Centerpoint Bible Church in Spring Mills because the gospel needs to be heard in northern part of Berkeley County. 
That's why we connect with IBC, our mother church, and support events and things that they do, because Martinsburg needs the gospel. But you know what? Guam, where the Kirklands are, need the gospel. Togo, West Africa, Nigeria, Sicily, Canada, England, Asia, every nation, and every tribe. So our missions committee has been working hard, and and we've been able to do certain things. One is that uh, we want our missionaries, we want to have a focus on who we're going to support and how we're going to support them. And that is, we want our missionaries to be involved in evangelism and church planning. So they're either going to work through a local church or be striving to plant local churches. That's part of what they're doing. If a missionary just comes in and evangelizes and leaves and there's nothing there, we're not fulfilling the Great Commission to make disciples. So we want to make sure that that's connected to a long-term work. I appreciate Dan's word about Bible studies. And they're doing these Bible It starts there, in-home. They had three in-home churches growing up. That's the work that we want to see. Finish Line Ministries, which we support, they train up pastors. And then those pastors are responsible to go out and plant churches. Planting the churches in the local villages. So important. That's part of the emphasis that we want to see as our global vision of the church. So the first must-have is a vision not only locally, but globally. Second, we must have a clearly communicated gospel message. A clearly communicated gospel message of redemption. The gospel has to be preached. The truth of the gospel has to be heard. If it's not, how can they know? And we need to hold our missionaries accountable for the work that they're doing on the field. Are they busy at work? Are we investing God's money in the right places? It's not wrong for us to be checking our missionaries, making sure that they're at work. The elder board has come up with a charter for our missions committee, and part of it is every three years we're responsible to do a review of our current missionaries and their field and what they're doing to make sure they're about to work. I would think that will be an encouragement to our missionaries who are about the Lord's work. That way we can know better. Each of our missionaries now have a person from our committee that contacts them monthly to try to check on them and see what's going on, how we can better pray for them. We're working hard at communicating more of that to you. But Romans 10, chapter 14 and 15 tells us, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It is important for us to make sure that the gospel is being presented when we do evangelistic outreach. And that sounds, well, of course, you would be surprised at how the gospel can be diminished, polluted, watered down, changed. 
We've got to be clear about what the Word says. There is one way and one way only to have your sins forgiven, and that is what Jesus Christ did. He came and He suffered and He died to provide the Gospel. We may have to suffer to proclaim the Gospel. It's important that the Gospel is heard regardless of the condemnation that we may receive or the Resistance that we may encounter. So, third, we must have a purposeful prayer plan. A purposeful player prayer plan. Here we have a monthly prayer night for our missionaries. And I would certainly want to encourage you, it happens to be tonight, how great that is. Hannah Kirby, one of our missionaries, a single girl on the field, she was at uh, our, our conference here two years ago. And many people, you're acquainted with her. We've supported her for a long time. She's a single lady on the field. She had uh, a team. And the other couple that she was with had to leave the field. Now she's a single lady by herself. That isn't acceptable by her missions board. And we would agree with that. She needed to be partnered with people. So they've worked some things out now. She's going to be moving to Sicily. And partnering with a couple that's there. Which means she needs to shut down her apartment. She needs to uh, try to relinquish the people that she's been having Bible studies and building relationships with. And go to a new area. I had email interaction with her that we're going to have a prayer Sunday night. And I'm going to update the congregation. And we're going to pray for you Sunday night. Do you know how encouraging that was to her? Transitions are hard. Our missionaries need to know that we're praying for them. Tom Jesserin, on more than one occasion, has told me how much it means to him to know that we have a monthly prayer night for our missionaries. Tom's back in the field right now. You know, he's in an area that has a lot of persecution. Young girls are being taken. Churches are being burned. We don't hear a lot about it, but it's not a real safe environment. Fortunately, he's in an area that seems to be somewhat stable. But he needs our prayers. And now with his expanded responsibility to train up the other people that are in these more dangerous positions, you know, what wisdom he needs to have there. We need to be praying purposefully, consistently for him. Well, some of the things that, uh, that we understand is that there is a power in prayer. And the Bible teaches us that we should be praying For God's word to go to every tribe and every nation. We should be praying for his kingdom to come. You know, the great thing about what the word teaches us is is every nation and every tribe will have a representative. And we'll read that in a minute. But that means the rapture is not going to happen until that happens. I don't know about you, but I'd kind of like to go in the rapture. So let's get the word out to the world. We should have a desire to do that and to see that fulfilled. Some other things that we do, we have the calendar that we do every other year. So you can hang that at home and then you have a missionary in front of you to pray for. Other things we do, in the bulletin you'll see the missionary of the month so that you can pray for them. We have prayer journals 
that we gave out last year at the missions conference. We're going to update them again. They'll be available, and they're available all year. And it has every missionary that we support with information about them that you can, at home, be praying for our missionaries. We need to be a praying church. We need to have a purposeful prayer plan on how we're going to get our missionaries covered in prayer. Four, we must have good financial giving to the missions program. And I praise God for the reports that we consistently have of the giving of this church. But we can always do better. And I praise God for this last year, above our missions budget, there was well over $30,000 given to missions. Thank you and praise God. We need to keep that path. I won't go on a lot about money. As we all know, it, it is an important part. Not as important as prayer, but it's an important part. And let me read just a few verses to support this area. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 to 19, is where Paul is talking about the church supporting him. And by supporting him, they're taking part of his ministry. That means we get to take part in the ministry of those that we support. That's a biblical statement. How important it is and how joyous it is for us to be able to partner with missionaries around the world taking part in the spreading of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 14 says, Your abundance at the present time should supply their need. You know, America is a pretty wealthy nation when you compare it globally. God has blessed us at this time. Why? Maybe it's because it's our opportunity to supply others' needs and His plan of getting the Word to all the nations and all the tribes and all the languages. Also in 2 Corinthians 8, just before that, uh, chapter uh, verse 7, it says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And he's talking about giving. Man, I see Fellowship Bible Church there. God has blessed us in so many ways. We do not have a bank loan. He has blessed us that way. We have a lot of property. He has blessed us in that way. We have a lot of outreaches. We have a lot of people coming. We have great unity. As we've excelled in so many ways, make sure that we continue to excel in this grace also. Five. We must have a plan of sending out missionaries from FBC. This is an area that I think that we've not done real well at. We haven't talked a lot about it from the pulpit. We haven't uh, done a lot as far as helping direct people uh, corporately. We can do better. We want to be intentional about challenging people and the call that God has on their life. 
There's a, there's a pastor and motivational speaker by the name of David Platt that spoke at uh, a conference and he quoted A.W. Tozer. And it's something that really got my attention. So I'm going to take the opportunity to quote it to you today. And it's all about missions. But it's not what you think. Because when we think about missions and going and doing, the first thing is to remember this. God does not need you. Hmm. We always say, oh, you're needed. You're needed, you're needed to do this. You're, you know what? God doesn't need you. A.W. Tozer on the self-sufficiency of God from chapter 6 says this. Almighty God, just because... He is almighty, needs no support. The picture of a nervous, ingratiating God fawning over men to win their favor is not a pleasant one. Yet if we look at the popular conception of God, that is precisely what we see. 20th century Christianity has put God on charity. So lofty is our opinion of ourselves that we find it quite easy, not to say enjoyable, to believe that we are necessary to God. But the truth is that God is not greater for our being, nor would He be less if we did not exist. That we do exist is altogether of God's free determination. Not by our desert, nor by our divine necessity. Probably the hardest thought of all for our natural egotism to entertain is that God does not need our help. We commonly represent him as a busy, eager, somewhat frustrated father hurrying about, seeking to help to carry out his benevolent plan to bring peace and salvation to the world. Too many missionaries' appeals are based on this fancied frustration of Almighty God. An effective speaker can easily excite pity in his hearers, not only for the heathen, but for the God who has tried so hard and so long to save them and has failed for want of support. I fear that thousands of young persons enter Christian service from no higher motive than to help deliver God from the embarrassing situation his love has gotten him into and his limited abilities seem unable to get him out of. Add to this a certain degree of commendable idealism and a fair amount of compassion for the underprivileged and you have the true drive behind much of Christian activity today. That hit me. As I think about things, let's see. God called me to be a pastor 40 years and I'm really busy at church and you know, head up the finances and really try to put all I can into that and I'm really involved in the missions and and, and trying to direct and steer that. And, and I'm over the camps and the ministry of the boys and girls. And, and I, I teach the basic college group and, and do retreats and try to have activities. And Wow, God, I'm doing pretty good for you, aren't I? 
God doesn't need me. If I didn't obey God, he'd bring somebody else up. Because God's plan will happen regardless. So God doesn't need me. God loves me. God doesn't need me. But he loves me. And he loves me enough to allow me to be part of what he is doing. He loves me enough to work through me to accomplish his will. I have great value because I'm made in God's image. I have great value to God. But don't mistake that God needs me. God's plan and who's going to be saved is his plan and how he's going to work it out. We need to be obedient to his word and do what it says and take part in his plan. Great opportunity to be obedient to him. Take part of his plan to fulfill the great commission. What is this? How do we know it fits together? Revelation 5, 9 says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. At the end of the ages, Jesus breaks the seals. Every tribe, every nation, every language, every people, white, black, yellow, red, Indonesian, whatever language you speak, we're all one in God. And there will be a representative from all these people that God has reached down and saved. God's work. Bringing us to Him. At the end, all the nations, all the languages will be drawn. So we need to reach the unreached people groups. We need to see the gospel go forward in every area. We need to be concerned about the things that God is concerned with. Matthew 24 verse 14 says, In this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. When that gospel goes forth to all the nations, that's when the second coming comes. That's when the rapture happens. That's a great encouragement. But our part isn't just to be focused on that. It is to be obedient to what God has called us to do. And that is to go. As we are going, whatever your part is, could just be financial. But perhaps there's some here that God has been working in your heart. And there's a little thing in there going on. And you're shaking your knees right now thinking, is he calling me? Is he not calling me? I don't know. We want to help you. There are ways that you can help identify that. One is short-term mission trips. We had the Honduras team up here. It's a great way to get exposed to missions and the work that's being done around the world. Now, there's all kind of short-term mission trips. And I'm not a fan of the idealized, more of a easygoing, sightseeing, fun trip. But let's make sure that the trip has something to do with helping the missionaries, helping the gospel, reaching people, 
doing work that needs to be done. There's a lot of good short-term missions trips. We have the Honduras trip. Sean Patrick's going to be with us at the missions conference in March. And one of the things he's going to be talking about is a trip that we're putting together to go to Africa. Uh, opening up to our church for up to 12 people that will be able to go to Africa for a very specific uh, endeavor. Every day is mapped out, going to the villages, sharing your testimony, reaching the children, seeing the things that are doing, and encouragement to those that are on the field and reaching people. We're excited about that opportunity. You'll hear more about that. Another short-term trip. Something that some people don't know um, is that our missions committee has a little pool of funds from our fifth Sundays, 10% goes to missions, and we've set that aside to help support people who want to take short-term trips from our church. Up to $500 a person, if it's an approved trip through our church, we're willing to help you because we want to see you go. So I wanted to make sure that you were aware of that. So short-term mission trips. How about midterm? Midterms are not just a couple weeks, but Six months, a year, up to two years, a, a set amount of time that you're going to be on the field, supporting, helping, doing something. There's lots of those opportunities as well, especially if you feel the call. This is a great way to go to a certain area to see if this is where God is really pulling you to. Uh, we have a young man from the Hedgesville area. His name is Joel Shelley that uh, came, met with our missions committee. We were able to hook him up with uh, certain people who had money to give towards missions and fully supported him for a year to work with Word of Life in a camp in the Philippines. Praise God for that and his giving. And there's those types of opportunities to see if God is calling you in the area of missions. And then, of course, long-term, career, as we would call them, missionaries. People who need to go to the field because God is calling them to an area. We want to support them. Well, I was challenged uh, not that long ago to think about, is it right for us to support missionaries, families that go, for no better term, into harm's way, into dangerous areas? Is it good for us to support them? I've done a lot of thinking about that, a lot of praying about that, trying to figure out where do we stand on something like that. And, uh, and this is where I come from on that. Um, is God sovereign? Is He? If God is sovereign, and we truly believe that, and God has called a family, and they're going into harm's way in an area... Can anything happen to them that He hasn't permitted? If God is truly sovereign and we truly believe that, then nothing can happen to them that God hasn't permitted, either for their good or His glory. And from that standpoint and that conviction, I don't have a problem supporting a family that would go to a dangerous area. You know what? Unreached people groups are unreached because it's difficult. And there's probably some element of danger in it. Now, should just the men go? I think there's some wisdom in how things are done and how they go about things. But I don't know the mind of God. And I'm going to trust in the discernment of many. And I would say that from my perspective, we can support a family that would go into harm's way 
if we feel it's the right place for them according to their gifts that God has called. Well, there are two billion, that's a huge number, two billion people who know enough about God to send them to hell. What? Yes, there are two billion estimated people that know enough about God to send them to hell. What do I mean by that? Well, would an innocent person be sent? No, if they're innocent, they're not going to... But there are no innocent people. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And people can see God through nature. They know that God exists. They know that there's a creator. Or they can discern that. But then they turn to worshiping the trees or idols or other things because they don't know about Jesus. And how to have their sins forgiven. The gospel needs to be presented. So that their destinies can be changed. Like a 10 year old little boy was. In 1974. When he heard the gospel. We need to be actively engaged. In spreading the gospel. So what do we do about that this morning? As Fellowship Bible Church, we have four points of application for us. We must walk carefully. What do I mean by that? We must not waver in our commitment to our missions program. We need to be a missions-minded church. Herman Gockel in 1963 wrote a little story about three boys playing in the snow. They lived on a big farm, fresh powder snow. They were out there playing. After a while, they... Got a little bored of that, and over in the distance was the big red barn. And they decided they're going to head to the red barn. But as boys do, they're not just going to head to the barn, they're going to make a game out of heading to the barn. So the game is let's see who can walk the straightest. Fresh snow, we'll be able to look at the tracks and see who has the straightest path to the barn. Well, by the time they get to the barn and they look back, the youngest of them by far had the straightest path in the snow. And the other two boys said, how'd you do that? And he said, well, simple. I just kept my eye fixed up there on that weather vane on top of the barn, and I didn't take my eyes off the whole time. How do we walk carefully? We keep our eyes fixed on the Father above. And He'll keep our path straight. We need to be a church full of people who know who God is. We need to pray purposefully. There's power in prayer. We need to make sure that we are working at it. We say it all the time. We all know that it's good, but it's an easy thing not to do. Make it a plan in your life to pray. And be intentional about your prayer. Have a purpose behind your prayer. We need to give generously. We have been known to do that. I want to encourage you to continue. Missions is important. We need to give generously. And we need to send seriously. We need to really encourage people to think and consider full-time missions. People heading into full-time missions has been dropping. It's easy to send money. Maybe God's wanting more from you. Jesus suffered for the gospel to be available We should be willing to suffer 
for the gospel to be presented. Because a church without missions is a church without a mission. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning to be together and to be encouraged. Father, I pray for Fellowship Bible Church, the local community church that you have allowed to be here. I pray that you continue to work through us, that we would be a church that has a mind for missions and and fulfilling the Great Commission and, and evangelizing our local community and supporting and sending globally. That we would be a a church that is known to be praying for our missionaries, giving to our missionaries. Father, we pray for your word to reach all the nations, all the tribes, all the languages, and all the earth. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.